friends, and welcome to our third episode of Armor Party. I am your host, Mike Forcer, and I have to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in, liked, subscribed, shared. It's been really great seeing how all of you are responding to the conversations that we're having. I wanted to give a little bit of heads up as to what we're going to be working on in the next few episodes. We're going to be doing deep dives into some of the costumes that you've seen on screen in Star Wars by people who, in my opinion, know them the best. The focused episodes will be pretty cool, in my opinion. You'll be able to learn a lot about the costumes themselves versus the building process. It's going to be great. If you're into costuming, it's going to be interesting to listen to for sure. We're going to be having even more people come on and talk about their costuming journeys and hope the conversation is inspiring you. We hope that it's getting you motivated to say, I think I can do this, and that you find out that everybody has a beginning. The foundlings are the future. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. All the way from across the pond in the United Kingdom, we're fighting time zones to bring you a conversation with one of the most respected obsessors of The Mandalorian. As a member of the prestigious UGK 501st Garrison, his costumes are intricate and accurate, but as of recent, his most important contributions were helping complete the 501st Costume Resource Library for the Din Djarin costume of The Mandalorian. He operates JJ Industries, a fabrication shop, but today joins us unmasked and unhelmeted. Luke Daly, welcome to the Armor Party. Hey, Mike, how you doing? So, Luke, I'm so excited we were able to connect on on talking about this because, in full disclosure, I'm building a, a Din Djarin right now, so I might be asking a couple nice. questions for a friend. For a friend. Sure, sure. It's always for a friend. <laughs> so it's always for a friend, and everyone's saying, I, I can't build another costume. There's no way. I tell my wife that. <laughs> she never believes me at this point. So I'm excited to be able to talk to the man himself. So uh, what, what? how how has your year been? How is Bad Batch has kicked off finally? It's exciting time oh, for yeah, Star definitely. Wars. And, and we know that we know that Boba Fett's coming, so it's an exciting yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this year for us has been absolutely crazy personally it's been a train wreck but in terms of like the costume stuff it's been just amazing we've had we've had such a great year um so far just i don't think there's a better time to be a star wars fan than right now if i'm totally honest because just the wave of content that we have and the quality of content that we have now is just for me personally and it and, and you can't please everybody but for me personally it is the best star wars content we've had in a lot of years and I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> I, com I completely agree. And I think it's also great that we're seeing it in so many different mediums. The video games are the best they've ever been. Uh, the, yep. the, 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 the shows are the animated shows are coming back. And instead of, you know, wondering if they're going to be canceled or, you know, there's a plan for everything now. So I feel like we are getting the absolute best Star Wars storytelling right now, especially for yeah, characters. I agree. Yeah. That, that first episode of Bad Batch, I just watched it the other day was just, brilliant like what an introduction to a new and you can already see how they're starting to like introduce parts of the universe 
we don't know about like we don't know how the fall of you know the fall of the clone army transitioned into the into the you know into the empire and like this is what we all want to see like that kind of because it just builds a bigger world doesn't it like you know you've got these fixed periods but now we've got more ways to tie them and make it make it more cohesive as a story well, as a costumer, and I know that you're the same way, it's also terrible for our ADD. I, I, if, the, the, if the longer I have costumes that sit in my garage that aren't built, the scarier and scarier it gets. Because as we introduce more characters, I'm going, I might need to build that one too. So yeah, I'm, yeah. It, this is a terrible time for, for my ADD, but more so it's, it's an incredible <laughs> time to be a Star Wars fan. So I completely oh, agree. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 like when there was episodes on The Mandalorian when they didn't introduce new characters were almost sometimes my favourite episodes because I could relax and not have Take to a go breather. back and comb through every single micro frame to get all the details because anytime it was something I wanted, I'm like, okay, now I have to do a two-hour research project and, and screen cap everything I want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I, I can't wait to get into that because I, I definitely have a lot of questions about that. But before we get started, sure. Luke, let's let's talk about like your Star Wars story. Like, you know, the, the UK and Star Wars obviously have such a synonymous relationship because it's where the original trilogy was filmed, the parts that a lot of people remember. And so the UK has always had a very strong, strong base of fans uh, for Star Wars all the way from yeah. starting back in 1977. So what, what's been your Star Wars story personally? Like how, what was the thing that you remember and how did it obviously keep growing to this obsession that it is now? Absolutely. I mean, my, so my first interaction with Star Wars was not knowing what Star Wars was. So I was out playing in the back street and there was a kid who like kept teasing me and calling me Luke Skywalker. No idea who Luke Skywalker was at this point. So I <laughs> ran home crying to my mother. I'm like, they're calling me Luke Skywalker. And she's like, okay, come here, son, it's time, it's time. And then we watched the movies. So I was probably, I don't know, maybe seven or eight at this point. But like sure. that was my introduction to Star Wars, from being teased because my name was Luke to watching the films and later on finding out from my mother I was named after Luke Skywalker because my mother liked the name. And she was like, actually, yeah, I'm going to take that name. Let's go with it. So I, I'm named after Luke Skywalker, which I love. And it's 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 such a tie that I didn't know till I was like 15 or 16. It's crazy. I mean, and, and, and for someone to tease you saying like, oh, you know, it's not like they called you a salacious crumb, right? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, like in the back of my head, they weren't saying it in a teasing way, but it was a name I didn't know or understand. Therefore, it's different. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't it. know what this means. It must be offensive. For I mean, sure. the place I lived was not the friendliest of towns, so everything was assumed to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. And then you went and watched it, and you were like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally cool. You can call me Luke Skywalker for the rest of my life. I, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Totally. Oh, I mean, I, I think I, I, I made my email address Luke Skywalker UK back in like 2009 or something ridiculous like that. So in fact, no, it wouldn't have been. This would have been in 1990 something when it was Hotmail. And like, I still have that email address to this day. And every time I'm on the phone to some like telephone center or whatever, and they're like, do you have an email address? And I give them the email address. They have a little chuckle. And I'm like, yeah, I never grew up that email address. <laughs> they're like, what What year is it? I, I, I had to search this on Lycos.com to make sure I remembered where it was. Going back to GeoCities, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what was your – so so obviously the, the hooks had been set very early for you as a, as a fan. Sure. And, and what, what was kind of your introduction from saying, well, I'm obviously a super fan into getting into costuming because now you're 
you're going down a whole different, different realm. route. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess obviously like not a, re- a real lot happened after I watched those films. Like they were part of my part of my life, but they they didn't hold any major prominence really. Um, and and I have to be honest about that because. I'm always so jealous of some of the fans who are like, I had all the toys, I had everything. Like, yeah. I had Ghostbusters toys, I had like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Biker, Mice from Mars, all that stuff, but I didn't really have Star Wars toys. They just weren't available in the era I was growing up here in the UK. Like, they were available en masse in the 70s, they were available en masse in the 90s, but that kind of period of the early 90s and late yes. 80s, it wasn't really... It just wasn't really a thing. Like right. Phantom Menace was the the first big experience for me because it was coming out in my lifetime, and it right. and it was a big it was a big deal. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you'll remember it as well. It was a it was a big deal. Phantom Menace coming out, and I loved it. So once again, I watched those films. They were a part of my lexicon. I enjoyed them. I loved them, um, and I'd watch them again and again. But it, it certainly wasn't any more elevated than other sci-fi films for me, and. Around about 2013, 2014, I was getting out of a of a different role. I used to travel around with heavy metal bands and, and film music videos and, and awesome. documentaries and things like that. Anyone um, we know? Uh, Trivium and Amon Amarth, and we got to tour with Iron Maiden a couple of times, which was nice. So there's some, some nice metal bands, uh, mainly All-American, because for some reason that worked out well for me. <laughs> so, I, 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 yeah, so that's, that's a totally different story, but... What it left me with was the fact that I didn't want to be in the touring world because actually it consumes a lot of your time. I have a full-time job as an engineer and I was taking all my holiday and using that to go on tour. And then I was coming home and editing. And my wife, my wife who I married in 2010, Karen, like I come home from tour and I'd edit for three weeks and I would not see her. And we just didn't have a thing together. And so we had our first Comic-Con coming to the area and like I was into Star Wars. She was sort of, you know, into, into the kind of same things as me. So we said, you know, let's just make some, throw some costumes together. Let's just go and see what this is about. And it was sure. Newcastle Comic-Con and it was massive. There was like people in crazy costumes. And at that point, it just like my mind, just that, that gif of the guy just with the exploding right. head, that was my brain right then because yeah. suddenly this whole new world of creativity opened up that I just didn't even know existed. Like, I didn't know any more than Leg Avenue and Party City and all the other generic costume company stuff. I just didn't, this just didn't even connect on a level that existed. So after that, it was like, right, I don't want to make just a Jedi costume. I want to make Qui-Gon Jinn. I want to make it the best Qui-Gon Jinn I can. And then Karen was like, okay, this was quite fun, actually, because both of us aren't major extroverts. Sure. we're certainly not the most introvert people. Karen's definitely more of an introvert than I am, but going to conventions, being a character, gave me a confidence that I just didn't have before. And, and, and being in a costume, being a character, taking photos with people was something totally foreign. And it's it's like being... And it is entirely uh, confidence-building because it you, you've got people like, hey, I'd like to take a photo with you. And you're like, it does make you feel good. Um and so we obviously wanted a way to keep keep going with that. So we, we obviously joined some of the costume clubs. We joined in the UK in the northeast there was the the Night Ninth Garrison because we sure. didn't have a huge five or first legion sort of presence in the northeast because it's quite a small area. Um and then as we sort of scaled up our level of complexity, we joined the Legion. Right. Um so we, we did my wife was Mara Jade, we made a Mara Jade costume. 
and um, we did Return of the Jedi Boba Fett for me. So I'd, I'd been on TDH for years, so Dented Helmet, following right. all the little details because that costume, even back in the early days, was always like, that's the coolest costume, like, without a doubt. Um, so I'd been stalking TDH for years. I'm like, I'm going to put one of these together. And there was a guy down south who was getting out of the, the community entirely, and he put his entire suit up for something like £2,500, which is a lot of money. But when I, when I priced up... When I priced up all that was available for that thing, like I could have bought the parts for maybe cheaper, but it would have taken me four years to collect them. And Easily. this guy just had them all. Like he had Woodman's braids, who were the breast braids at the time. He had like right. Man of War boots, Man of War jetpack, RS props, armor, like uh, oh. Clothier's costume, like all of the top tier yeah. set pieces because his kid was growing up and he just wasn't costuming anymore. He was going out mountain biking and he just wanted to get money for it and just be done. Sure. So I was expecting to go to Karen and my friends and be like, hey, seeing this, it's a really good price, but I, you know, I think it's it's a silly price, isn't it? And I was almost talking myself out of it. Not one of them said, hey, this is a stupid idea. Don't do it. Every single one of them, <laughs> even my colleagues at work were just like, yeah, but but you will actually get use out of it. Why, why don't you just go buy it already if you've got the money? Like, right. And I'd saved money at that point, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe this is what I'm going to do. So we, we drove down the country, met Grant Dixon, who was the guy who bought the, the suit off, and that just took us on a whole level, a different level of, of path for costuming because at that point I was only interested in, like, millimetre-level costuming. And I think there's three different types of costumers. There's the types who will do um, cheap budget costumes, who are great guys. They will do anything and everything to get what they need. Sure. And that's totally fine. There's the people who will do mid-grade and the people who will do, you know, stop at nothing. Unfortunately, the band, at no the, the, the top that stops at nothing, sometimes there are some obnoxious people in that, in that band, unfortunately. Yeah. For me, yeah. all bands are equal. Nobody is invalid across the entire range, whether you're spending $10 or $1,000. There is no problem across that range, um, so I, yeah, it's that's that's where I sit in the in the costume spectrum. <laughs> sure, and that's and that's there's so many great points in that. I mean, even getting back to what you were saying with the confidence part of it, because you know I think what you see is and what I've learned in my experience with with costumers is that this is this hobby is incredibly focused on a certain type of person who can justify even doing this, and obviously it's a a crazy part of a fandom is very large, but when you get into it on this level, it gets much smaller in many ways. It does, yeah. For a lot of people, it's you know, and there are some older, there are some older members of the Legion, especially here in the states, that Star Wars was not always cool. They were not, they were not treated as, oh wow, this guy knows a lot about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Or this girl wears Star Wars shirts. It wasn't a very. Ex it was you know it was. It wasn't fashionable to be a fan. Right. It was. It was uh, nerd yeah. culture, and yep. And and having that, they were kind of defensive about new people that would show up and say, you know, you didn't have to go through these trials of proving yep. that the fandom wasn't fashionable. The fandom was there because we loved what George Lucas had created. So yeah. the, the your point of your point of the the confidence building because people aren't asking you your opinion about much they're just looking at you and going that's 
a Qui-Gon Jinn. Cool. That is, yeah, that's yeah. Boba Fett, you know, and, and I think that just gives you, uh, uh, like you said, a, a level of confidence to say, I clearly did something awesome that's clearly yeah. show-stopping too, right? So I, I yep. completely agree. It does change It does change the way that you feel about yourself, especially when you put the costume on. And once you put a helmet on and you want to act as that character, Yep. I don't, I think everyone goes, that's awesome. You know, you want to talk yeah. with a, you know, with, with a, a British accent as a Imperial officer, man, go for it. Right. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's so, it's so cool seeing people embrace the character. Well, I, I love hearing the background for you, Luke. And I think that's, that's awesome. So I want to, I want to get back a little bit in, in terms of understanding exactly what goes into building a costume to the level that we've now seen because costuming in many ways, and it's funny that you were talking about that, that early era, that 2010 era, because that's when YouTube really started becoming the searchable engine powerhouse that it is. And so when people sure. started to figure out that, Hey, there's not a lot of this stuff on YouTube, or we could make a little, you know, series, or like you're saying as a, a photo video editor, all of a sudden, the content got huge and it just amassed. And all of a sudden you were able to learn and research things that traditionally people really, unless you had a friend that was into it, there weren't really that many options to learn and research. So YouTube, I think is a huge reason for why cosplay, I think has really been accepted and really blown up in popularity. Right. And yeah, the other I, thing I that totally I think agree, is, yeah. yeah. And the other thing that's really interesting too, is uh, that 2010 was also kind of the real start of Facebook gaining yeah. more, you know, groups and clubs and stuff on Facebook that allowed people to connect because if if you're not a if you're not a member of the costume clubs, especially for the 501st Legion or the Dented Helmet, which is the, you know, the Mandalorian kind of based uh, a research group, uh, everything is like in an old school 90s forum, you know, like you got to scroll for yeah. days and there's tons of photos yeah. and sometimes they're linked to image hosting that isn't there anymore. And sometimes you'll find dead threads. And so it's so Facebook and I and I want to ask your opinion about this before we really get started, because you're you're a fan of, of both and you're very active in both. Sure. So so yeah. what you know, in terms of how the clubs update themselves and stay modern and stay so that people are able to get this information and be mm -hmm. able to communicate with each other. The threads, the forums were people said, as soon as Facebook groups became a thing, the forums are dead. And yeah. I see that, you know, you're in a department store and you're going, Hey, I'm looking at paint. What do I get? And to have someone be able to tell you right there, hey, I yes. saw you posted. That's great. But then I also know that the Facebook groups can get annoying at times because you have people who just join and they ask the same questions and people get mad at them. And it makes it seem like now the community's not very happy or they're yeah. not welcoming. And so there's all different kinds of things. So what's been your your opinion on on managing one of the groups, the largest Mandalorian groups? And what's been your your kind of take on how we're evolving ourselves as a costuming club? Well, I mean, I mean, definitely, like you said, forums were the thing in the '90s. Like all, like the fan club I used to manage in the, in the metal world was yeah. was a forum, and the Legion is a forum. Teenage right. is a forum. Arp right. is a forum. And I I honestly believe even in the space today there is a lot of room for forum. The problem is it doesn't have the same mass of people. So I, I honestly feel like the Facebook groups are where you cut your teeth and you do all of the hard graft and research and get all that initial information. The problem is with Facebook, stuff gets lost to the sure. sands of time. Oh, like, yeah. 
we if you scroll back to like when Force Awakens came out, I I, I founded Knights of Ren, so we we made that group, and that group's like ten thousand members of Kylo's. Right. The entire first two years of learning was just continual, like discovery, discovery, and it's so exciting. Like, and we're still in that in the Mandalorian. We're in that phase where everything is an exciting discovery. Look at this pleat here. We didn't know this stitch was here. Oh my God, look at this. Look at this. Oh my God, there's a bend here that we didn't know was like right. all of that. And, right. and and everybody is outwardly exciting and outwardly positive. But the problem is, once that first wave of people have made their costume, only a small percentage will stay as you know community seniors almost and help that new wave of costumers. And at that point, you end up with a quantity over quality because the you know the popularity of the group has got so high that your volume of members is massive and right. unfortunately you get undesirable elements with that you know if 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 five percent of your ten member group are problematic five percent right. of your ten thousand member group is is a lot more is a lot harder to deal with so sure. my genuine feeling is is that we almost need to enter a new era of costuming research socially as a, as a group. In, in all these groups where once we have this data, we have mechanisms to record it in a place that is meaningful to the next generations of people building. And that's what I think we're currently missing. Like we don't have the way to take this research passion from Facebook and store it somewhere permanently like a forum. Right. Because like you said, you can, although some of those links might be dead on TDH or RPF, you can look at someone's, like blaster build from A and H back in nineteen ninety, and it'll still be there. And it still could holds up. Could you imagine up. doing that on? Fa- could you imagine doing that on Facebook today? Like find a post from two thousand <laughs> about someone you just would never find it. Like right. people tell you to search the groups all the time, and that really winds me up because Facebook is not easy to search. Like right. it does not help members. So my opinion is Facebook's great. Forums are great what we really need as a community doesn't exist yet. And I, I don't know the mechanism or the solution, whether it's a wiki or I don't know, but we, as a community, we need something. I just don't yeah. know what that is yet. Yeah. That's yeah, my, no. that's my, that, my, my brain dump on, on that whole, that that's whole okay. problem that we face in the community. That's okay. Because we're going to have a lot of people uh, that, that are going to listen to this, that are part of these clubs. And I think if, you know, and though, though this podcast isn't associated with any of the clubs, you have a lot of our members who are listeners that are part of it. And I think you find that general, like we, we want to always make improvements where we can. So that I, I just wanted yeah. to ask your opinion on that. And, and it sounds like you and I actually feel very similar on that too, but let's, let's get into specifically for the Mandalorian because you're mm-hmm. so, and I, I just have to gush for a second, but, but you've been so kind and patient with so many people that have gotten, that have expressed interest in this costume, myself included. And I first of all have to say thank you for for really stewarding a great community that has uh, put together so much research and they've been so helpful to each other. And there's people like Tim Harrison and Terry Chu and, and just some really great people that have been so patient and so compassionate about understanding that the excitement of building a costume should never really be put out because we know actually no. at the end of the day, we need to normalize this. We need to normalize that being of an course. adult is boring and that we need to keep yeah. doing awesome stuff together. So um, I just wanted to say thanks, of course, for, for, for oh, being so great. Thank to, you very much to for that. Members. Absolutely. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit about how, how for, for people who don't understand or, or we're hoping to get some people who are interested in building a costume and, and yeah. 
how the the process works for the 501st Legion or for really for most of the clubs at this point is there's what's called a costume resource library. And yes. that is essentially a checklist that our member liaisons go through so that they know that every person who is approved with a costume is going to look similar to both represent screen accuracy, but also when they stand next to each other, they look like an army. And that's super yes. important too. Yeah, and so definitely. those CRLs can take, because we are getting so much Star Wars content so fast, those CRLs can mm -hmm. take months to develop because you want to make sure that when you put this out there... Yeah. To say this is the most accurate costume we this is the most accurate we know this costume to be, and we yep. feel comfortable putting our stamp of approval on it. It can take a long time, and sometimes people get impatient about it. But, sure. but tell us a little bit into that process of drafting the CRL, especially for a character that's gotten as much screen time as Din Djarin, and he had two costumes. He did, yeah. Well, he, it's season one; he had five costumes. Like, true, actual, true. We there get are very five, technical, like, absolutely. Super technical, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's the kind of thing you end up having to map out, though, because they're the kind of questions you get where people are like, hey, can I have the bit where the blur grips my chest armor off? And it's like, I mean, that's going to be hard to write a CRL for. We haven't got a lot of pictures. Right. And, like, a lot, a lot of it is almost triage. So the first part of the CRL is, like, what are you aiming to do? Like, what is the point of the CRL? How are you making it consistent? And what options do you want? Does do the options justify a whole separate CRL, or can you just make them like, hey, you can, you know, like on on the pre Beskar, you can change the shoulder piece, right. but there's a caveat: you have to have a different chest. Um, right. And they're the kinds of things you you have to outline fairly early because there are people who will build along with the CRL as the lines are being developed, and I always find that super stressful. My advice to people is: look, if you don't have like infinite money, patience or whatever, don't develop with the CRL. Like just wait till it's done because all of that can be done in an LMO. So the normal process is you write your CRL, the detachment reviews it internally, then it goes on to the LMO team who are the, the you know, the, the heads of, of the costume across the Legion. They right. then review it and then they submit it to the database. They could change. They typically don't, but they could, if they want to rewrite large sections of the document. Right. And so my advice is always don't just don't touch a costume. If you really want to go for Legion approval, unless you're absolutely ironclad about a detail, just don't <laughs> just don't do it. Just it's, I've seen unless, so much heartache with that. It's it's horrible. <laughs> unless you're Brendan Wayne or Latif or Pedro, sure. or you're, you, I'd say they have an intimate look at the costumes, but everybody else just so. wait. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Everyone else just wait and. It can be frustrating because, like you say, these CRLs can take a long time to develop. So I actually got, I reached out to, to Amy, the attachment leader for Bounty Hunters Guild, because mm -hmm. the CRL wasn't in a, it wasn't in a place where I thought it would be a good representation for the Legion. So I literally just went, hey, can I, can I just help here? Because I've spent a lot of time looking at these details because I wanted to replicate them. And I'm not, so we have, in the UKG, we have a specific staff role called Armourers. Mm -hmm. So they're like costume advisors because the GML can't ex be expected to be the expert on every costume. Right. So we have armorers. So we've got people who are experts on clones, people who are experts on stormtroopers. And I've always dealt with like first order and like, you know, um, ROTG Boba Fett yep. because it's a Mandalorian. I now look after the Mandalorian. And so sure. I'd already been doing a lot of prep work because people were saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to make this costume. 
so I, I put my hand up and we kind of tried to change the process a little bit because atypically in the Legion, at least maybe five or six years ago, the, the CRL would almost be written by a, by a, a closed community and it would be right. written by the detachment. But the problem is, like you say, these Facebook groups are doing so much research and there's so much discovery in those first year that I don't think it was doing the Legion any favour developing those CRLs in, in isolation anymore. So right. with this CRL, the minute we had a good draft that I felt, you know, like Tim, we had Tim Harrison, we had Jackson Rupert, all of like the key guys who knew all the different expertise bits, whether it's colour, paint, physical modelling like Darren Pattenden, we, we had help talk about it. All of those heavy hitters, we did what we felt was a good draft. And I, I used those guys extensively to help review and, and, and really get through a lot of the early iteration cycles, then push a draft up online in Google Docs, post it into all the groups and said, hey, this is the draft where it's at. We're probably going to publish in about two months. Now is the time to say something. And you don't have to be a member. Just what do you think? Do you agree massively? Do you disagree massively? And I think that's why we have a reasonably solid CRL within. And I'm hoping we can keep that train going with future CRLs because I think we can't not involve the community, even if they're not members. Because I hate when we see CRL releases and the first day is when somebody says, look at that, they've said it's pink and it's actually green. Like, I hate seeing that. It just, right. It saddens me because the guys who put all the work in those CRLs have put hours in and yeah. they've missed the line on the last bit because, you know, I sat with Amy doing a review on that CRL. It took us four hours every time we did a review because you were going through every single oh. line and being like, are we sure that that colour is going to be okay? So we go back and check the references again. Okay, right. Is the wording sensible? Does everybody know what slats means? Do we right, you know, right. like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it be, sometimes it becomes an exercise in communication. Like it took like the wording has changed on that CRL so much to be something that's universal. Like right. oh, we've only got imperial dimensions here. We need to make sure we've got metric because sure. the rest of the world uses metric and America uses freedom units. So you know we have to have to make sure all. All dimensions are accounted for. Well, I, I I do apologize for our freedom units. Uh, you know, we're often uh, and and, and no, it's our fault. We we, oh, we gave it to the world, and then you guys just kept it <laughs> for no reason. Well, we can uh, yeah, we can we can thank the crown for that. Um, yeah. we, there there's all kinds of I, it cracks me up, and and what's really interesting too because the Mandalorian was really the first U.S. based production. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, you have Rogue One and you have a lot of productions for Star Wars that was based overseas. And so I'm also building a short trooper right now. And so there was a whole lot of frustration over not being able to get Halford's colors. And then, you know, the RAL, yeah. the, the RAL paint system was different. Um, and, and yes. then, you know, it converted to a lot of Montana colors and then now the, mm -hmm. you know, the shops were making them here. And so now the, then the U S kind of, you know, had a little bit of a leg up because we had stuff here. So it's been really yeah. cool seeing how people have shared resources with each other so that they do feel mm -hmm. like, you know, Hey, we, we really, this really was a costume of course, led by people like yourself, but this really was a costume that was built and researched by the community. And it's just really cool to see that there, there really aren't many people yeah. who are, are elitist about the costume because we know that, that the minute you think that you're an expert on it, someone points out some glaring thing that you go, God, how did I miss that? So yeah, it's, you, it's you've got to have some brass balls to deny it at that point. Like, and, and, and <laughs> 
we have seen them. They they some come best and go. Guard balls, every say, every right? now, every now and again. They, yeah, yeah, best guard balls. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like Terry for the paint, for example. He must have spent hundreds of dollars buying paints because he was like, you know, everybody sees these nice charts at the end where he's like, this is the paint for this, this is for this. What they don't see is the hundreds of paints he's sprayed and tried to get to those reasonable colours. And it's like Terry is a gem in the community and he, I don't think he gets enough credit for how much work he put in trying to help the community find paints. And yeah, he's, I love that guy. Well, even go and then in and also Terry is based in Canada, so it's like half yeah. of the stuff that he's unable to get, and and he's been, I mean, the the layouts that he did even for the Sand Troopers that were from you know a decade ago are yeah. they still use those as a as a basis? So I, I hope to get Terry on the show because he, he's he's my kind of person. He's a detail yeah. guy, but also incredibly helpful. So we will definitely yeah. give, of course, a shout out to Panda Props and, uh, sure. and and hopefully get Terry on the show. But Luke, we'll switch gears a little bit because I'd also like to talk to, um, you know, what, what it goes into your research. I mean, you know, you said that earlier that you were screen grabbing stuff. And, you know, yeah. what is that process for you as far as researching goes? Because like you said, that research changes as soon as there's a behind the scenes Yes, yeah. you know something Mandalorian with their helmet off, and all of a sudden the costuming com community erupts because we realize there's the ribbing is built into this, you know, and and people lose all their minds that. over it. Yeah, so like, yeah. what's your research process like? So, so my process, um, I, I guess I've got two different research processes. If I'm if if it's something I want to know for the sake of a CRL or for the community, I'll look at it differently to how I'll look at it if I'm going to make a product because they're two they're two different tacks like. If it's for the sake of the community and, and getting that information out there, then normally my process is if we've got something like D23, that's what I right. class as a prime reference because we've got high quality digital SLR, SLR photography and we can get down to like the texture of the fabrics. Right. Um, and my background, obviously, when I was deep in the Kylo Ren community, I had to learn very quickly about fabrics like you know, what weave fabrics were, what weights they were, what materials were involved, what kind of reflectivities did you get? So a lot of my early research on Mando, for example, was looking at those high-res photos close up to find, you know, what type of canvas, what kind of weight do we think it is collectively? You know, this, the, the, like the cummerbund section, it looks like a linen. What type of linen? What weight of linen? Like, these are the kinds of questions you, you really want to answer early. Um, right. So for me... D23 is the gift that keeps on giving. There is not sure. one single day in the past year that I have not opened that photo set and examined something in close detail because it's just a feast. Um, so for me, that was my first big, big research point. Um, the second thing is you always have to, in my opinion, back up anything you see on a costume display with something you can see on screen because... We fortunately we know the D twenty three was a used costume because there's a, and, and we only found this out because of the behind the scenes. There's a picture of Latif sat there doing the interview on the behind the scenes, and there is a crack on the diamond. That same crack is on the display at D twenty three. Therefore, we know it is screen used. We can use it as absolute reference, and and so we do. 
Um, and for people who if, don't know, the the yeah. the D23 reference that you're talking about was yes, Disney, sorry, I, yeah, you know, I, I call it because I just I just reference oh, it in my head. Like I, I do the same thing, so I always try to. <laughs> there are people who are kind of getting yeah, into it. They're sure. like, what, what is what are they talking about? So at at D23, there was it, it's Disney's convention, and at this yeah. point, the Mandalorian had already been unveiled at Celebration, and it was it wasn't out yet, and it was the the scavenger, whatever you call it, pre-Beskar armor, and it was on yeah. display. And, and and at that point, they, they hadn't revealed that he would get the, the full Beskar kit yet. And so everyone was like, you know, the press releases had been had been shown. And then we had the the opening uh, five, ten minutes of that Favreau showed at Celebration. And so we were all yep. in on going, man, this is what the Mandalorian looks like. And so someone had gone and taken, oh, my gosh, Luke, what, probably 300 photos? The, and, so, the, 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 yeah, the one photo set that's on TDH is like 300 photos. There is another photo set that I have that I res, which someone else provided and I, I just stitch everything together in Dropbox. Every time yeah. I'm like a gerbil filling my cheeks with Maltesers, <laughs> like I just ram everything. I yeah. grab everything I can from everywhere. And if I find a better version of it, I delete it and get bring the better sure. one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's some other great little tips for reference hunting for people that, are, that I don't think many people know about. But when you see like Vanity Fair and E! Uh, Entertainment Online, when they do an article, they will show um, a piece of media and if you save that piece of media, it's necess- it's been it's been sanitized for your display size. It's been sure. compressed down. Right. You can do a little bit of URL hacking, and you can often reveal the source resolution, which is often much much bigger. Ah. And that is how you sometimes get some better quality shots. So, like all the standees, I have the original resolution because you can you have to do a little bit of geeky digging to get the, sure. the code piece, but. When you can get it, and when you hit enter, and you get the full resolution picture, it's, it's no better, no no better feeling. So every a, now and again, you a might man see of many talents, you are, Luke. <laughs> yeah, you, you you might see every now and again in the groups, I'll be like, I'll post them as uploads rather than as pictures, and sure. I'll say like, hey, thirty megapixel Vanity Fair zero one, um, because to me, they I know not everybody can do that, and right. that's you know not everybody can fiddle in code, and that's fine. Um, but that, that's that's a great way. If you ever see something that looks good on something like Vanity Fair, chances right. are there is a way to rip out an even bigger one. And I hope they never patch that because I'll be very sad if they do. Well, I'll make sure they don't <laughs> listen to the podcast because they'll yeah, be on. Yeah, exactly. At that yeah, don't point. advertise to them. <laughs> well, well, let's talk. Um, and and you know the the other thing that I I I'm a, I'm a customer, and I I hope that people aren't taking this as okay, cool. I'm having people on who I've purchased products from, but let's talk a little bit about JJ Industries because. I purchased, so in my, of course, you know, people started building these costumes and there's the bandolier and it's got all these great parts. And you can clearly see that these pieces have been machined. They've been tailored to fit in certain parts. And you were one of the first vendors to come out with all aluminum parts. And I bought them on a, however long it, however long ago I purchased them and I got them and it truly blew me away because I think, and I've talked about this before, the suspension of disbelief for some people that they're trying to figure out it's just a guy in a costume, right? It's just a person in a costume. It's a person yeah. wearing this costume. It's not actually the person. It's not actually mm-hmm. the Mandalorian. But 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 there's a part where when people are assessing you and they look at these pieces and they go, what the hell? This, this guy's got aluminum Wait. 
uh, a blue Real metal, uh, yeah. The right aluminum flamethrower. Yeah. He's got an aluminum like what it like this actually might be the guy. And it yeah. cracks me up to see that that if that's what it takes to really to really sell a costume is to look like these pieces clearly weren't they weren't three D printed they weren't carved yeah. out of uh, clay Ooh, and painted. Yeah. yeah, this is this is one hundred percent the real deal. Um, yeah. So I have to say that the the work and the craftsmanship is absolutely incredible. So how Thanks. did JJ Industries turn into what it is? Because you guys are building multiple pieces accessories for costumes. All different yeah, kinds at this point. We're, we're, we're going at it with <laughs> with a plum, to put it lightly, because it's, yeah, we've got a huge passion for it. And I guess we, so we started back in the Kylo Ren days making fabric, totally random offbeat because the community needed it and you couldn't get it. Um, and But in my day job, in my, my regular life, so to speak, I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer for Siemens, so I designed industrial products um, for substations in, in the power industry. So... Like my background is that kind of that kind of design. So when I saw Kylo Ren's saber clip, for example, there was a function to that that no one had quite worked out, and so I spent the time prototyping out with three D print pretty quick till I worked sure. out how it worked, and that really cemented my reputation as I guess. And I, I I use this term now as almost something that we're developing, which is creative engineering, which is right. doing a creative job using engineering tool sets and, and, right. and skills so really jj industries for me is an expansion of that it's using my engineering know-how and knowledge and training that's for something totally different purely for an aesthetic and, and costuming purpose you know um so i know how to to turn i know how to cnc but i also know how to work with production houses so i know how to spec 2d drawings to get the surface finish that i want and so for me, it was about bringing that kind of skill set into the community, which I know the prop guys have, because the prop guys just have a guy who knows how to run CNC machines and know how to do this. And he'll take a sketch and he'll, he'll turn it into something. And the, the challenge we have is deconstructing his two-second thought process. Like, he's just ran it through the lathe and just done it. The, the challenge we have, which is super nerdy and very few people care about it, is we like to deconstruct down to like the half millimeter scale of was there a radius on this you know did right. you use a bullnose tool like all of that kind of which is why we're on like version four or five of the metalwork now like sure. we've done four major iterations and some of them are absolutely tiny but if we're ordering a new stock why not improve it a little bit if we can um so yeah i mean i i, I guess for us we want to provide things that are obscenely accurate and it doesn't matter if no one cares, we just want them. And the, the feedback we kept getting from people is that actually we do care. We don't know what you've done, but we can see you've had care doing it. Therefore we care about it too. Um, so we've kind of just kept going on that trajectory and you know, the, the shin guard that I've got behind me up here yeah. is, is, is something similar. It's a project that I knew was going to be expensive to design, expensive to develop, expensive to sell, but I wanted it personally. And and that's normally my bar for making things. Do I want it personally? And the answer has been resounding yes to everything I've made. I want it. It just so happens other people also want it, which is great for me. <laughs> right, right. And and I think really to look at the nuance of, of these these costumes and it, it it shocks me at nothing to hear that of course that luke you are a, a boba fett because boba yeah. fett's are that notoriously 
picky about saying, you know, it has to be this, it has to be this horsehair braid for the Wookiee braid. And, you know, yep. then we have to have the, you know, you've got to have the toothbrush and all the other things that, that really make that costume. So well, exactly like you said, the, you know, for the prop house, when they're building stuff, they go, okay, take a bunch of thermometers off of here and throw it on there. No, one's going to know. No one will deconstruct yeah. these costumes with 10,000 people across the globe. No way. Yeah, and I almost, exactly. I, I crack up now at thinking of how I almost think sometimes the prop houses go, oh, I'd like to see the, the fan groups have a crack at this one. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and here, and, and, and here you are going you know, challenge Dave accepted. Yeah. Challenge accepted. And I, we know Dave Filoni plays with the community. We've seen it before. We've seen it in rebels when like he basically changed the armor. And he's like, let's see what you do now. Cause he just sure. changed the armor pattern entirely for season right. two of rebels for, right. um, for Sabine Red, I think it was. And, and he yeah. was quoted to even have said that. And, Yes, the production guys are working on a really tight budget, really, really short timelines, and they are bashing it out, and right. it's beautiful. But I have no doubt they look at us with strange eyes sometimes because they go, you guys are putting in more research and development time than I had for the entire suit. And I have no doubt we've probably looked at these parts more than some of the prop guys will. But to me, it's almost a little bit like the same level of detail that a historical reenactor would go to look at, hey, how did they make these clay pots back in the 15th century? Doesn't matter that ye oldy Bill just picked up a piece of mud from the ground and smacked it till he liked it. Like, <laughs> right. we want to know what shape did he smack it into? And, and to me, that's costuming. There's there's a level of nerdiness where you want to try and replicate the, the crapness, if you, if you know what I mean. Like, there's, a, yeah. there's an intent there to really make it super authentic um and and that's that's our aim in particular really try and replicate everything we possibly can right and there's something to be said too i think that some people especially for a hero costume you know it's very easy for someone to put in a lot of time and effort and as you're learning the process of building a costume you get someone else who might say oh that doesn't look exactly right and it's very easy to yeah. get offended because you go well i've put so much work into this like why do you not think that it looks great but but really what i think accuracy does because i'm like you it's like if you're wearing a costume that clearly wasn't mass purchased or you've had to put in work to build it you're 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 on our team like there there is yeah. no saying your costume isn't as awesome as someone else's and i think really what the accuracy levels do is just kind of shows that this person was dedicated to honoring the original costume and the original prop makers that actually built these costumes. Um, and I think yeah. in some ways it, it helps with the preservation. I, I cracked up. Uh, there was a conversation with Frank Ippolito uh, over when they were talking. Uh, he was talking to the Resistance broadcast and he goes, yeah, we, we accidentally put the knees upside down on the biker scout. And uh, there was you, no accident. They did yeah. that in purpose to upset the community. <laughs> and, the, and the community, like I said, the community, because I, oh I, I am a biker scout. I'm a level two yep. biker scout. So I love yep. this costume. And I'm like, you know what? The knees upside down are actually more comfortable. And I've done it on accident myself. And I, it, it honestly, just, it, I loved I loved watching the community explode about that because you had some real like excessive super fans of biker scout. And they'd be like, I would never accept upside down knees. I'm like, but it's screen accurate now, technically. And right now, and, people are falling over themselves. Oh, but, oh. Yeah, it is. There was yeah. like there was two different types of super screen accurate nerds having fights. One saying it's not accurate, and one saying it's on screen, therefore 
it is. It's like, accurate. Yeah, and, and, and obviously all those five or first guys got to be in that episode of Mandalorian. There's some like crazy grandfathered armor in that set. And I'm like, they're all screen accurate now. Doesn't matter. They're, they are on screen accurate. And I love that so much. But I love those kind of debates. Like I don't get right. I don't get too, you know, held on one side of the argument or another. It's everyone's right. equal to me, but I I love watching that it's popcorn fest. I just Oh, love it. it's it is and it's hilarious <laughs> and it and it only matters it only matters to so in or such a small group of people because I mean we still see the Tie pilots get called Darth Vader just because they have shiny black plastic. It's just like yeah, you know, Kylo Ren's Darth Vader, you're right, Vader, right. everyone's Vader. Like if you're black, <laughs> right. you're Vader. Right, right. So I, I think that's I think it's awesome. But but you know, for for JJ specifically, so so you have an engineering background. And I find that a lot yeah. of people who contribute big things to the costuming community, they do find ways to tie in their their day jobs with with being able to say well you know myself as a graphic designer i'm like yeah so i kind of got to switch gears and make stuff for star wars that sounds amazing um you know no problem and so so it's cool to see people who realize that maybe they do have a skill set that can could contribute to this community um that they don't really understand how they could switch it into doing so so it, it it's yeah. really cool to see what you've done with jj um nice. and and even just the process of of so uh, i hope people go and check out jj industries after this Thanks. but you guys recently made the beskar spear Yes, and we did, it, yeah. Fold, yeah. It, it unscrews, it folds up so beautifully. And it's like, yeah. that's, you know, versus being like, you know, for the, especially like another huge weapon, the Amban pulse rifle, right? There's people yeah. who built them. And then you had somebody else who goes, man, I, I want to buy that from you. And the guy goes, I got no idea how to ship this thing. <laughs> it's, I know. it's four I, and a I, half I, feet tall. It's the, the Amban rifle. Is something that I've looked at for the past two years and gone. I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to make it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I, I get, I get uncomfortable sweats thinking about beginning the process of designing that piece because there is just. I think I will just disappear in a hole for months on that one, and I think I probably will have a go at it. I just don't know when because I you know heard it, you heard huge. it here first, and now people are going to continue to hit up JJ Industries. <laughs> I know. I heard you on the Arbor Party, and you, you said you were going to make it. So where is it, Luke? I know, I know. It's I, and it is a black hole. Like we made a Kylo Ren helmet. We designed a Kylo Ren helmet, and that was a black hole for time because I yeah. spent like a hundred hours on that thing, and it was just right. ridiculous. Um, and I think the Amban might in my head it would be that level of time. It would be hundreds of hours. Um, whereas, like people say, think I'm crazy for spending probably 30 hours, 10, uh, 10 to 30 hours just on the little sling clip, like getting right. all the simulations and the designs right to get it right. working. But to me, it's like that's a reasonable investment to spend that time because that design is done now. Now I order it and it's available for people to use and, and, and that's right. it. But something like the rifle, sometimes you just – I might die before I even finish designing it. Like it's <laughs> – and, and so I have to pick and choose my battles because I am part-time. Like, I have a full-time day job. Sure. Um, I finish my nine-to-five job, and then I start my five-to-nine job. And, you know, that's that's how our days go. And I have to give a shout-out, a huge shout-out to my wife, Karen, because she's what allows us to keep this business running and growing, really, because while yeah. I'm doing my day job, she's doing all of the molding, all of the casting, all of the sanding. Like, she just keeps things moving. And yeah. I am so fortunate because I've got so many other maker friends that like, how 
do you put out so much? I'm like, have a wife who actually wants to do it with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, and there are so many people that it's easy to prop people up and not understand that there, there truly is, there's uh, a community that can hold you up. I feel the same way with my side business for Hondo supply. Um, my, my wife is so patient with understanding that sometimes like I'm running to the post office, I've got to do this. I, I, sorry, I won't be able to make it home for dinner. I've got to do this. And, and it, it, it does, it does matter. And, and speaking of that, because you are running, you're running two businesses, you're, 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 you're providing for your family as a nine to five and you're doing your career and then you're running a side business and the prop community has had some difficult conversations and difficult interactions because it's so easy for people who get into props, they start making something, the demand is off the charts and then you're sitting there going, well, I've got to scale accordingly because like what you're doing is it's CNC'd, it's heavy, and you need machines to do it. It is not a, I'm making 3D prints, and that's not putting no. people who sell 3D prints down, but more so Oops. you're using very specialized equipment, very specialized tools, an engineering background. And so how have you dealt with, you know, and things in the production process? Like you're not mm-hmm. ordering enough for things to go smoothly all the time. And so you have snags and you have people who are going, Hey, I'm not, this stuff isn't cheap. And so, you know, Luke, where's my stuff? And you're going, well, COVID's happening. And the, the, our, our production friends, we don't make enough of it for them to go to the front of their line. And so we have to kind of get squeezed in here. So what are some of the things that you've learned about being essentially being one of these prop makers who has a reputation to uphold and you also want to do people right, but you also are empathetic to understanding that this Ooh. is not a cheap hobby. And, and and there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure that you've learned that we've all learned yeah. in, in our lessons between patience and also expectations. Like what have you learned for JJ in that regard? That's a deep question. First off, like that is, that's, that goes to the core of me really. Um, so I, my, my advice to anybody who's going to make or wants to make and set up in this kind of way, doing whatever, yeah, just be honest. Sure. I, I cannot say more than that. If you have a delay and it's because you're just not feeling it, just say it. Sure. I see makers come and their reputations rise because they get super popular, they deliver some, some good stuff, then they get overloaded and they cannot say no. Learn to say no and learn to be honest. Like they are the, and and I've had to learn it, and and I've definitely got that from my professional career as well. Because you have to learn to say when things are not going to be on time. You can't say yes to everything. You can't please everybody, mm-hmm. and you have to learn that that is part of the business. And it doesn't make it less frustrating when it happens when someone's really upset when you say, "Hey, I know I said this was going to ship beginning of June. I'm sorry it hasn't shipped beginning of June." it's now going to be another four weeks. Like you get some very upset customers at times that, but sure. I think in the long run, it's more beneficial because people only remember if, if they actually get their products and it's good quality, they rarely remember that they had to wait an extra month, but they will remember if you ghosted them. And we see this a lot in the community where people have to make like almost quite upsetting posts where they're like, Hey, vendor x i'd like an answer about like that should that blows my mind that should just never happen and right it's easy for me to sit here and say that but i also totally appreciate that anxiety when somebody messages me and says hey you said you were going to ship that thing last wednesday 
why didn't it ship? And there's a moment where you just reverse into a shell and you go, oh. <laughs> and, you, 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 the, and I don't know what it is. The first thing in your head is to want to, is want to lie. You just want to lie. You want to yeah. say, because you want to make everybody happy. You want to make it, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's just the post office were closed. My my dog's hair fell off. Like, right. Or I've heard every excuse <laughs> under the sun. Sure. Uh, my my mould's died. And, and for me, that has been a genuine one. And yeah. it, you just have to say, look, here's the genuine reasons that I can put across to you of why I failed. I'm going to do better to make it better. I'm sorry. And then you've got to go from there. But just, just reply and be honest. But for me, in terms of if you want to keep going, in terms of like ordering from suppliers or working with suppliers, be be professional and act like a business. If you really want to do this as not just a hobby, which is what we want to do, we really want to, to grow. And at some point, like Touchwood, I would love to make a run at being a licensee for something at some day. Like I'd love to quit my day job. I'd love to make this full time. I'd love to make props that arrive to people within a reasonable time frame, sure. um, and are great quality because I think we can offer something that I don't think we typically see from other vendors. Which is why, like to me, that's our market differentiator among these small prop makers and even among some of the big ones. Like, and that's I want to keep taking that forward and keep pushing that. But for anybody who wants to make and you want to deal with suppliers, whether they're overseas or local, just be upfront and honest about what your aims and aims are and just expect you're going to be paying higher prices. And you have to communicate that back to the community. A lot of people come back to me sometimes and they're like, hey, you've got like this thing, which is just a magnet and a couple of screws and a piece of metal. Why is it £35? I'm like, well, it's £35 because it's got to be machined on five sides. Uh, I've got to assemble it. I've got to buy screws. It's got to ship from China. I have to pay import tax when it comes from China. I have right. to then pay the shipping when it leaves the country. I have to design the packing. Like there are so many facets that we don't even have time to document to share with people because, like the Mandalorian metal run is literally each kit is something like five hundred pieces. By the time you add every screw, every washer, every right. bag, every yeah. sticker, there are Definitely. hundreds of pieces. Like. Karen sometimes sits and watches. She was watching Riverdale. She burnt through the entire series of Riverdale on uh, Netflix or whatever it was, yeah. w- what it was on, just putting the screws for the back plates in bags. That was it. Oh. That was the in, that, and that was on our last run. And that we did 120 on the last run. We're doing 200 on this run. So we just know that you know when when we when we announced to people, hey, all of our metal arrived this week. Look at these big pile of ten boxes. Immediately, within a week, you will get the messages, hey, why hasn't our stuff shipped? And I'm like, there's still like three weeks of us just slamming screws into bags and, you know, oh, the wrong screws have arrived. I need to order some more screws. And just just be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of advice. If anybody wants, you know, to discuss where we've been and what we're doing, we're more than happy to discuss it with anybody because we've certainly learned things along the way. And for some other companies or other prop people, we're offering sort of consultancy services now. So we're, we're actually doing creative engineering for people like Jordan's Ironic Armory. We helped design the, the little metal cap pieces and we had them die cast for them um, with some of our suppliers. And we've got another guy who's producing some things I can't talk about yet, but they'll, sure. they'll be out soon. And so if you've got ideas and you don't necessarily understand how to bridge to manufacturing, that's part of what we're wanting to offer as a company as well, to help people 
who aren't necessarily engineers? Like, how do you get, how do you get your your creative idea into something that you know a machine shop would understand? Form. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Because it's not like prop making. It it is prop making, but it's it's not. It's it's different. Because the machine shops come back to me sometimes, and they're like, "Hey, we'd really like to change this because it'll be easier at the machine." And you have to say actually no because aesthetically it needs to be that weird shape and you're like okay then it'll cost more i'm like well okay then we'll pay more like and you have to have those kind of conversations sometimes and in ways there's you know there's a funny part of of saying you know if you work with someone else and you're expressing hey you know because i was thinking about getting some dosimeters made for the yeah. imperial officers yeah and i have a friend who works a lathe and i said you know check these things out and he goes, oh, yeah, I could make those for you. They'd probably be about 50 bucks. And I'm going, oh, but I just order them from someone else and they're 25 yeah. bucks. So it really mm -hmm. makes you look at the process of what really goes into what people are paying for is a culmination of connections, uh, uh, history, production, conversations, hours upon hours of, of research, yeah. development. And so it's it's easy for someone to look at a price tag and go, oh, I can't believe that. But then when you I start know. to get into it yourself, you go, it's just easier to pay the price, yeah. man. I'll pay whatever you're going to ask. So I just more yeah. so wanted to ask you about that because I know that your 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 shop is so popular, and as people are listening to the podcast and they're saying, well, I'm thinking about scaling up my business. I think you're yeah. a great example of someone who's operated a business where of course snags happen people get frustrated you see the occasional flare-up as all business does but yeah. but you've handled and scaled really well and are still not compromising on the quality of product and i think that's really commendable but for for a lot of people who don't understand what goes into developing something as nuanced as this mm. stuff and and yeah. even you know even as we we move forward and the more products that you'll start to offer um, you know, I hope that people listen to this and they realize, yeah, there's there's actually a, a complete understanding of why things cost what they do because of what went into it. So, um, yeah. and and also also you're you know running a business and running costuming, uh, it, you've done your good deeds, Luke. Right? You, you should be able to make some money to support yourself as you move forward. And sure. I think sometimes, you know, the good faith thing, you go, yeah, well, Luke, yeah. he just made me something. He sent me something. It goes. With my customers, if I screw something up, I'm happy to reship it for you. I'm happy to yeah. overnight it if you absolutely need it or something. And it just is sometimes you go, but also I don't want to spend all my nights doing this as a hobby. If I can say, hey, I'm going to, I got to make a little bit of money because I'm just going to put it back into this hobby for the rest of yep. the community too. And I think that's, that's something that yeah. people also need to kind of reframe their thinking. So it's it's great to hear your insight on it. Yeah, I mean, we, we used to, so we moved recently to Durham about a year and a half ago. We used to live in another town about sort of an hour away. Uh, and we worked out of our dining room. Like that was my workshop. And it was yeah. a tiny galley dining room. We were polishing phasma spheres with my homemade 3D printed jig to put a drill on the end while Karen was holding the drill while I was polishing. Like, But we knew that that would get the quality level that we wanted. There has and to be a photo out there somewhere. I there, hope, there, I hope is, it there, is, there is video footage. It's hilarious. Oh it's God. on our Facebook page. It's like you're putting the polishing paste on. It's spatting all over the wall. It's going everywhere. <laughs> it's just There's just mess everywhere. But what people don't really like, now where we are now, I've got a, a double garage at the bottom of the garden. It's detached and we paid to have it converted into a workshop and I paid for that entirely with 
money that we've we've raised through Star Wars, like, and that yeah. wasn't cheap. And some people are like, hey, you shouldn't be taking money from the community because that's not that's not how this community works. And for me, as long as I'm making the amount that allows me to continue making better things. I personally don't see a problem with it. Some people yep. don't agree with it, and that is that's their stance. For me, it's not necessarily about trying to turn a buck and trying to make profit, because we make profit, but that profit gets reinvested into what we want to offer. I want to I want to get to a point where we can have you know employees. I have yeah. no doubt that before I can even leave my day job, I would like to hire somebody who can come in and pack all the bags. And right, do right. more shipping and, and do yeah. all that stuff that I know is not high skill but takes sure. time and if that can employ somebody like I can't see that as a bad thing and it'll improve what we offer as well so there's so many growth opportunities that we want to do that we think's going to give back to the community that I just I can't see any other route for a business like ours to grow like I I, I always wonder how these licenses and this is me going off on a tangent. I never understand how these licensees just appear. Like, sure, because some somebody's had a big trust fund money and they've just gone dump. Here's a business, and like for me, this to me, this is my own mental route of how I could imagine getting yeah. to that 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 place, yeah. and that's that's our dream, really. Well, it's 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 really cool to see, and and Luke, we could talk for hours about this, and I hope one sure. day we get to we get to share a pint together, and and uh, maybe at celebration twenty twenty two, who I, knows? I hope, I, I yeah, hope. that's yeah. let's. I know we're hoping, so I would love to. I'd love to have a, a blue milk with you, my friend. Yeah. Uh, let's 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 get into the lightning round. We'll do a lightning round here, and then I'll let you go because it's been absolutely awesome talking to you. Let's get into the lightning round. If you could wear one costume that you haven't already built, what would it be? Oh, it's easy to say Mandalorian because I haven't built it yet. Like, like and people are going to be Mand shocked to hear that. Yeah, they are they, because I don't have time <laughs> to make my own costume. Like, I, I've looked at the details so much, but I don't actually have my own yet. He's busy shipping your stuff, everybody. Get off his yeah. back, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so besides the Mandalorian, what do you think is another costume that you're oh, like, oh, I just love Oh, God. It. No, sorry. It's That's nothing. it. <laughs> Mandalorian. So, like, just the, Mando the Mandal brain all the time. <laughs> I love it. Here's the here's next question from the lightning round. Boba Fett or Din Djarin? Din Djarin. Like, I, I love Boba Fett, but I'm sorry. Din is what Boba should have been. Sorry. That answer that answer works for me. You're gonna offend a lot of people, but I'm cool. <laughs> I with am. It. I am. Would you rather wield the dark saber or the Beskar spear? Beskar spear, but I'm biased, so you know. <laughs> and you can, something you, nice you about can, a, a lightsaber could be turned off, but a Beskar yeah, and spear you can, is always and there. You can, yeah, and you can hand a Beskar spear to your friend without having to kill them for it. So you know, there's always that. There's, there is always that. That's great. <laughs> you get to live on one planet from Star Wars for the rest of your days, Luke. Which planet do Ooh. you choose? Coruscant. It's just got good shit going on. 
Sorry. The the planet the planet <laughs> covered in a city. All right, so yes. I can tell you're I, you're a busy guy. You like to bounce around and make. You know, I want to visit all do, the shops. Do you know how many machine shops there will be in Coruscant? It'll be amazing. It'll be. That's right. You'd be <laughs> you'd be walking around in the underworld. Hey, who's the cheapest person I could get to to mill me this piece? Yeah. All right. Exactly, on, yeah. on that planet of Coruscant, you get to pick one ship to travel to and from with in the Star Wars. The you don't even hesitate. Nope. Uh, so we, we, we did a one-to-one cockpit of that, and that is my, and will always be my number one ship. I think the Corellian shipbuilders would appreciate your support. Absolutely. Luke, yeah. it has been absolutely awesome talking to you, and I'm so glad we were able to connect. And, and before we sign off, I just want to say thank you again from the from the costuming community for The Mandalorian. As a member myself, uh, as, a, as a customer of JJ Industries, you've got to go and check them out. It's, it's really some incredible stuff, and especially just being completely fan-driven is really what keeps this community so incredible and so dedicated. So I just have to say thank you so much for spending time with us on Armor Party. Where can people find you, Luke? Where's the, the best way for people to get a hold of you? You can find us uh, primarily on Facebook, facebook.com slash UK, or you can go direct to our web store, which is store.jjindustries.co.uk. We're planning on Instagram. Haven't got there yet. It'll be there someday. All right, my friend. Well, thank you again for taking time with us. I'm looking forward to the Book of Boba Fett. I'm looking forward to everything else Star Wars. And most importantly, I'm probably looking forward to seeing what JJ does with these new releases because I'm not going to say right now. Let me see if my wife is listening. Uh, I, I might be back. I might need a couple things. So, Luke, Daly, thank you again for you. being on the Armor Party. It's great to hear from you. Look forward to talking with you again. Thanks, Mike. Catch you later. And that is a wrap on episode three of Armor Party. I am your host, Mike Forster. If you're on social media, find us, follow us, interact with us. You can find us on Instagram at Armor Party Show, as well as on Facebook. And now find Armor Party on YouTube as well. Armor Party is a part of the Thank the Maker Network. If you're looking for even more Star Wars content, find Thank the Maker wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to composer Alton James for our intro and outro music. Armor Party will be back in two weeks. And always remember, being an adult is boring, but wearing armor definitely isn't. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> <laughs>